Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski at the Nachum Siegel Network. How important is Judaism to you? How important is your Orthodox Judaism? How many times a day does the topic of your Judaism come up at work or amongst friends of another religious group or even another Jewish denomination? How many times have you wished you listened just a little bit more in school so you could talk honestly and with serious knowledge about your Jewish rituals and your faith? How often have you felt real, actual conflict about your Judaism, either at your workplace or at another time in your life? Sounds pretty serious. And for one woman, it is. It's so important, in fact, she's made a career out of talking about her Judaism every single day, all over the world. No stranger to these airwaves, Allison Josephs has made her mark as the premier defender, interpreter, teacher, and advocate of Orthodox Judaism with her website and blog, aptly titled Jew in the City. Now Jew in the City is getting ready to honor great, successful Orthodox Jews, all different types, in varying fields. She calls it Orthodox All-Stars. And tomorrow morning on JM in the AM, you'll have a chance to win tickets to this once-in-a-lifetime VIP event. Just listen to today's show, answer Nachum's question tomorrow morning on JM in the AM, and you can be a big winner. So Allison Josephs is joining us today. She's been involved in the field of Jewish outreach for over a dozen years, teaching and lecturing, working at Partners in Torah, Sinai Retreats, and NCSY, and is the Partner in Torah mentor to actress Mayim Bialik. She was named one of NJOP's top 10 Jewish influencers in 2012 and was one of the Jewish Week's 36 Under 36 in 2013. She's been quoted or written about in many publications, including the Wall Street Journal, the Daily Beast, Huffington Post, and Yahoo News. And after this big event, I'm sure that many, many more people will be talking about her and writing about her. Allison, thank you so much for coming back to Something to Talk About. Thanks so much for having me back. So tell us about this big event. It's just about two and a half weeks away. Orthodox All-Stars. Orthodox Jewish All-Stars, yeah. Um, so it started last year with a video. Um, I'm not sure if any of your uh, listeners uh, saw our video last year. Um, the video was sort of created to both debunk the myth that all the men are rabbis, all the women are housewives, and sort of show that we have, and not that there's anything wrong with rabbis or housewives, those are fabulous choices for people that choose to do that, but more to show that we have different options should we want to choose different careers. Um, and not only that, but also to show that we can excel in these careers, that it's not just that we're allowed to do you know, a few different things, but that um, our Shabbos observance, our Yantav observance, our kosher observance, will not hold us back that there are many uh, industries that allow us to really excel while observing. Um, so we had this amazing group of people last year, 10 people. And my husband said, um, this is a great thing. People are so excited about this list you collected. Why don't you just do another one next year? And then after that, after that, and there is this, you know, sort of thing of putting out lists of different types of Basically, Jews like to make lists, I think. I'm not sure if other religions or uh, groups. Some of us like to make shopping lists. Right, that's true, exactly. Um, but, um, yeah, we didn't do another video this year just because we sort of felt like that was repetitive. But um, we knew that there were a lot more people that we could have spoken about or um, told people about that we weren't able to, you know, get in our video last year. And so we figured, why not open up nominations to the public, which we did. And we asked people, you know, near and far to tell us who they knew who was exceptional in their field. We had a panel of judges, and um, we released the list about a week and a half ago, and um, we're honoring them at this party at the end of the month, God willing. What is the criteria to be considered an Orthodox Jewish all-star by Jew in the City? Um, we're looking for people um, who have some sort of a universal mark of success. So, um, you know, people on Facebook last year were like, oh, I know this great OB, you know, she delivers tons of babies and, you know, has the best meat That's fabulous. It's incredible. But, like, we're looking for sort of something that um, sort of everyone universally can recognize that is a mark of success. So, like, um, one of the guys on our list, Isamar Ginsberg. A Hasidish guy from birth. He's like from a, uh, a dynasty of uh, like big uh, rebbies, and he was named a top ten entrepreneur by Inc. So that everybody knows what Inc. magazine is. Everyone knows that if you get named by them as a top ten entrepreneur of the year, you've done something exceptional. And so for our purposes, and again, this is not to say that you know deeds or chesed or things like that um, are not what truly count in life, but we're more trying to find 
something that sort of universally in secular society as well, people can look to and say, wow, that's, they've really achieved something and they've done all that and they've bothered to hold on to their observance. They've done all that and they've been able to hold on to their observance. That's sort of the surprising element that we're going for here. So, for instance, um, obviously being a Treasury Secretary, everybody gets that that's, you know, a huge uh, accomplishment or a Nobel laureate, huge accomplishment. Um, we have the chairman who is like the top of the third most prestigious law firm in the country. I mean, you know, in a white shoe law firm, which, you know, whose founders probably never in a million years would have imagined that uh, their firm one day would be, uh, you know, headed up by an Orthodox Jew. So that sort of thing, sort of universal marks. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we wanted a pretty even division of men and women. Last year we had six to four, this year five and five. We wanted it to be pretty close. We figured if it's a little heavier on men, it's okay. People get that men are generally in most societies more in the workforce than women. And then we wanted the group to be diverse. We we could have very easily filled it up with all modern Orthodox Jews. That would have been that would have been a no-brainer. That would have been obvious. We wanted to even expand the minds of some of the modern Orthodox community and show them that, okay, yes, you know that you're succeeding, but just so you know, and we get it's not that as common in, you know, yeshiva or Hasidic circles, but just to show that it is happening as well, that Rama Burstein made a movie that, you know, um, was premiered in uh, Venice Film Festival and Sony uh, Classics picked up and was critically acclaimed. That's that's pretty big stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that was our mark, basically. Yeah, so just to, to bring in some of the other big names you've got going on here. So U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew and Nobel Laureate Robert Alman are among 10 individuals who have been named 2013 Orthodox Jewish All-Stars by Jew in the City. And um, as you said earlier, there are diverse groups. So in addition to Secretary Lew and Dr. Alman, they include Sarah Hofstetter, who was promoted to CEO of 360i. It's one of the top ad agencies in the country. It's won tons of awards. And um, Ari Pinchot, co-executive producer of the star-studded and critically acclaimed new film Lee Daniels, The Butler, among other great films that I know he's he's executive produced. Um, Nama Shafir, the first Orthodox female professional basketball player, which I'd love to see. How tall is she? Do we know? Oh. She must be very tall. I think she might be like six feet. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Schenker, chairman of Sullivan and Cromwell, the number three law firm in the country. Rama Burstein, who you mentioned earlier, writer, director, and producer of the award-winning film Fill the Void. Anne Newberger, the director of the National Security Agency's Commercial Solutions Center. And as you mentioned earlier, Issamar Ginsberg, a marketing guru who was named one of Inc. Magazine's top ten entrepreneurs. And last but not least, Dr. Laurel Steinhardt, director of pediatric cardiology at Memorial Sloan Kettering and co-founder of Camp Simcha, a renowned camp for Jewish children with cancer. Uh, it sounds to me like Dr. Steinhardt's is kind of different from the rest of the group because, uh, I mean, in addition to being the director of pediatric cardiology, um, being part of Camp Simcha is sort of insulated in the Jewish community and, and not somebody who's, you know, out there. It's not for children who are outside of the Jewish community per se. Look, we, we included the, um, Ann Newberger also started a nonprofit for, uh, I think, single mothers or, you know, women in trouble. So, uh, you know, these people are exceptional in numerous ways. We wanted to promote Camp Sinaloa while we were at it. Um, the fact that, the fact that a woman would be, um, a director of a department of one of the most famous hospitals in the world. Yeah. We think that's pretty cool, and it's not like she's, you know, uh, 30 years old, and it's like a new thing that, um, you know, she, she finally broke out there to do this. She's in her 60s. She has grandchildren, meaning, like, she got her start a long time ago. This is not new that Orthodox women are, you know, doing these sorts of things. So we we're sort of like, what's the mark of achievement in, you know, medicine? And I thought, like, you know, being a director in a well-known hospital is that thing, and I started asking around. This is, you know, last year we uh, we started hearing about her, um, and so she was a contender, didn't make it to our video last year, but um, I had in mind that we would, you know, likely make it to our list this year, and she did. What was the process of vetting the candidates? So you went out there, you got some names, you gathered some names. What's the, the research like? Um, I mean, you know, people included bios and websites and, you know, sort of mulling a list over. The thing about because we wanted a diversity of fields, we had science and medicine, um, law and government, business and industry, and arts and uh, sports and entertainment. So we wanted those to be balanced out, two yes. to three of each. We wanted the genders to be balanced out, about 50-50, and we wanted the, uh, you know, uh, Jewish groups, the Orthodox, the divisions to be balanced out. So even if there were, you know, some strong candidates like this, if there was too many in business, we had to say, okay, let's pull one back. And, you know, do we have an arts or uh, sports person we can put in instead? So there was a bunch of back and forths, tons of qualified people. Um, 
again, this list will God willing go on for several more years because we were not able to, you know, mention, you know, name everyone this year that we wanted to, but there's, it's, you know, last year we named the list and the naysayers and the skeptics are like, okay, so there's 10 successful people that, you know, broke the stereotype, but that's it. And we're like, actually, there's there's more. So now they'll say, oh, there's 20. Okay, so there's more. So I'm not sure at what point people will, you know, start to accept that this is happening more than they realize. Um, and God willing, every year that we do this, there'll be new people rising to the tops of their fields and kind of making a name for themselves. And once you chose these these 10 people... Do you then reach out to them? Do they reach out to you? How how did that work? Oh yeah, so we re- they didn't. And will they be present at the event? Um, there will be um, many uh, all stars from last year and this year present at the event. Um, we're sort of uh, shoring up all the definite confirmations. Um, so this is an event that people do not want to miss. They do not want to miss it. No, it's going to be a pretty uh, it's going to be a pretty pretty amazing event. Um, we reached out to everyone, um, and some people were hard to get in touch with others, um, but we we got through to everyone at this point. Um, yeah. And as you said earlier, when we were talking before the show, these are very busy people in their fields. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden comes a phone call. Hi, this is June in the city. What, <laughs> what was that like? So I think, um, you know, because I don't really think of myself, you know, as I'm getting out there more, I'm having people acting weird around me, like they want to take pictures with me or like have autographs. And the irony of this is that when I was a kid, like all I wanted to do was be famous. And now I'm seeing like sort of the beginnings of that. I find I'm actually very uncomfortable. Um, someone stopped me at like a pizzeria a couple weeks ago and like she was waving to the window, like so excited to see me. And um, I'm a friendly person, but like I just feel so weird having people, you know, know me so well and not know them. Now the thing about these all-stars is that none of them knew me. So that was the downside of that. However, once we had our all-stars group from last year and I could say to them, this thing that we're awarding you with, maybe you never heard of us, but by the way, you heard of Joe Lieberman and you heard of Faye Kellerman and you heard of Alex Clare and, you know, and by the way, do you see this video? They were in and I were in it. They actually agreed to be in a video with me. Why? I don't know. They just did. So once, you know, there's actually the real proof that it happened. Um, and, uh, you know, you have Joe Lieberman ending the video last year saying uh, he like, you know, he's Joe Lieberman and he uh, approves of Jew in the city and Jews <laughs> in the country. And he had this cute line at the end. Once you have some big names, you know, sort of to tell, mention that you're connected with, like the Mind Biala connection is always useful, sort of slip that in there. It, it opens up doors. That's what, at the end of the day, if one person has, you know, vouched for you, then it, how do you get the first person? Mind Bialik was dropped in my lap. I, that was purely an act of God. I, honestly, really, all these things, all these different people that have come into my life, I, it's all, it's all from Hashem, um, you know, ultimately, because at the end of the, I don't feel like I'm anyone so, you know, Whatever, up amazing out there. I'm just, I'm trying. I'm putting in my efforts and, you know, doing a lot of praying and, um, and a lot of amazing things have come together somehow. So, and, and clearly, I mean, don't knock yourself. Clearly, you're doing an amazing job spreading your message. I mean, uh, in a little while, we're going to talk about the explosion of June in the city and what you think about that. You know, looking back, let's say, you know, a year back. Um, but I want to get back to your Orthodox All Stars. And I want to ask you, and based on the relationships that you have with the Orthodox All-Stars from last year, what do you think this award means to them? What does the, from the last year's Orthodox All-Stars, what does or, it mean Or for to this them? year's honorees, what do you think it means to them I to know, be recognized in this way? Um, I think there's, I've definitely heard a lot of excitement. Um, one of the All-Stars responded that this is exactly what she wants her kids to see, that it's possible, that you can you can have it both. You can live out your dreams and not compromise, you know, on Hashem, basically. Right. Um, that was the response that I got when I told her. And I was so blown away because that was exactly what I wanted um, them to feel like. Another All-Star responded when I explained what our mission was, that when we read the headlines day after day and all the negative stuff that comes out there, we want to put something out there that's positive. And she said, like, I'm on board with that. I never, I never heard of you before, but mm-hmm. like, that's something that I can get on board with because who doesn't cringe as these stories, you know, of fraud and, you know, protecting, protecting child molesters as this stuff comes out and no one knows how to distinguish between the people that are doing that and the rest of us. And we are being judged as a group. We are completely, because I was on the outside and I judged us all, you all, when I was in the non-Orthodox position. And I know that people do not get the nuance or the difference. And it means that we have to speak out when these things happen, which is part of what we do at Jew in the City. Um, sometimes, you know, some, you know, 
groups of Orthodox Jews are afraid to speak out against other groups of Orthodox Jews. But if we just sort of stand quietly, shtika kahoda, you know, silence is, uh, you know, tacit approval. And so we speak out against bad things that uh, people do and explain that this is not actually, you know, Torah values. Um, but at the same time, we try to show the positive things that are happening. And I think a lot of what Orthodoxy people associate with the restriction. And so we're trying to show the possibilities that are there. And it's interesting also because I imagine that an event like this probably makes, and you said this earlier, Orthodox Jews think about their own orthodoxy, and especially the people that you're honoring. I mean, I would imagine that none of these people ever thought that they would be, you know, sort of a a, a poster child, if you will, for Orthodox Judaism, but the fact that they've made it a commitment in their life to have this commitment to Orthodox Judaism and still go out there and be successful in whatever their field is, I imagine that... Jew in the city and an event like this makes Orthodox people think more importantly about their Orthodox Judaism. I think so. I think it's sort of, uh, it, maybe people don't think themselves as in a role model in that way, um, but I think we need to sort of put them out there as role models because what they're doing sort of quietly, and a lot of times people don't want to like bring so much attention to their observance. You kind of want to like, you know, do your job and blend a little bit, but I think it's the sort of thing that we need to out them. We need to talk about it because we need to give kids role models within the Orthodox community that you can have dreams. And we need to show, you know, the rest of the world that this is part of what we're doing too. And for me, honestly, as a you know, secular Jewish kid, if I had seen that these possibilities were possible and that people were living in the world and living out their dreams, but then also living, you know, spiritually committed lives, that would have meant something to me because I was I never wanted to leave the world. I never wanted to reject society. But at the same time, I was looking for more. I was looking for more depth and more meaning. And these people, they've got it all, really. Yeah, and what I found so fascinating, I mean, I um, did a little bit of research on Dr. Alman back when he won the Nobel Prize. And uh, what I found so interesting, sort of what you said earlier with Dr. Alman and Rama Burstein, is that they did not blend into the crowd, as you say. Um, in the big public arena, there was Dr. Alman with his beard, and, you know, there he was, a proud Israeli, um, and and there's, was Ram, there was Rama Burstein on the red carpet, you know, covering her hair and wearing a very tzniest dress, and with her husband, you know, a, um, a very orthodox-looking man behind her, and, you know, and literally supporting her, and, you know, walking with her on the red carpet. And I found that so amazing that they could be in such a public arena and say, you know what, I am who I am, and I'm going to bring myself with me. Or Isamar Ginsberg, our uh, Inc. Uh, top 10 entrepreneur who's spoken at Google. You know, imagine that. Imagine the beard and the hat and the, you know, Bekisha up speaking to a huge crowd at Google. No, it's um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty inspiring. And I think we need to be talking about this. And um yeah. We, we had a chance uh, a little while ago to interview Rama Burstein here on something to talk about. It was a fascinating conversation and one that I encourage all of our listeners who haven't yet heard that conversation. Go see the movie Fill the Void and go hear Rama Burstein talk about it. We're available on podcasts. Uh, you interviewed, you spoke with Rama Burstein. And what did she tell you about something with having to oh, do with it? The- I've spoken to her via email. It was an interview that I saw, an, an incredible story that she told in terms of uh, not compromising your values. She, I mean, it took her years to make this movie, and she got a call from Sundance that they wanted her to join and be a part of things, which she was shocked. She couldn't believe. And But the clinic or whatever the event that she was doing took place over Shabbos, and they said, we're going to work with you, and we're going to, you know, make the doors, you know, kosher for you, and the food will be good and every And she spoke to her husband, and he said, do it, which, like, just to sort of, you know, that image that people have that, like, the Hasidic husbands or the Orthodox husbands are subjugating their wives. I'm not going to say it's never happened before. There's obviously horrible situations that exist. But, I mean, I think so much of these successful women, we have to give credit to their husbands that were there to support them and, you know, relieve them of child care duties and, you know, duties around the house. My husband is one of those incredible husbands that, you know, supported my dreams. He said, do it. She spoke to the rabbi. He said, do it. And it was Rama who said, I don't know about this. This is sort of going into territory that doesn't feel right. And Shabbos is life and death for me. And why am I willing to compromise this for, and she said no. And then the craziest thing happened. It was the first time in the history of Sundance that they set up uh, in Israel. And they called her back a few months later and they said, you're not going to believe it, but we're coming to Israel for the first time ever. And it was able to work out. And when I heard that story, it's, 
you know, when you don't compromise in your convictions and, you know, it, it doesn't always work out the way. I'll say it like yeah. that. Just for, you know, for right. the skeptics out there, we, we can't claim that it always works out the way that we want it to, but, um, there are these incredible stories of people that sort of, you know, stood by their, their guns and had incredible uh, results. Yeah, most definitely. And along those lines, what are some of the challenges that face Orthodox Jews, say, in the workplace, or, or maybe, I don't know if you've heard from any of your honorees about a specific incident or some something that they've had to overcome, um, either in the workplace or in their life, but in general, what are some of the challenges that Orthodox Jews face in the workplace and around the world I mean, in I, daily life? Yeah, no, I think one of the biggest things, I think Tishrei, you know, the, just that month of like a holiday every two days. Right. I can see from my husband, who's a pretty big, you know, uh, pretty uh, what I say, busy uh, lawyer in, in big law. It, it kills him at a certain point, but like, and you know, for if you're the chairman of uh, a top law firm, I can imagine even more and so. And it's interesting because Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, people get. Right. Public schools are off. Right. They get those are big holidays. Then comes like, you know, tabernacles, and they're like, what is that? Before my family was religious, my father was at a meeting at his hospital. This was back when he was uh, pretty anti-Orthodox and negative, and one of the... Um, Orthodox doctors in his hospital, they're having a big meeting, was saying that he couldn't come to something. It was some Jewish holiday. And one of his partners, who was also very anti-Orthodox, cracked a joke. Oh, it's Shemini Atzeris already. They just thought it was the funniest thing. Shemini Atzeris. It, sound, it sounds like a crazy, you know, made-up word. Shemini Atzeris. Um, so, yeah, to, when you, this holiday, then that one, then that one. Um, also traveling, keeping kosher. I saw a picture of uh, Sarah Hofstetter on Facebook, which just, like, I thought was just so cool. She flew to Japan. Her her ad agency, 360i, is based in Japan. She's the CEO of the U.S. branch. Um, she's got her kosher bento box, you yeah. know, all all worked out, all set wow. up, you know. And it's not to say that you have to be jet-setting and you have to be a CEO to matter or to count in life, but meaning, like, the fact that you can do it if you want to, if your family supports it, if that's, you know, part of what your dreams and goals are, and you can get your, you know, kosher bento box in Japan on your meeting, in my mind, that's... You have it all. It's pretty amazing. I mean, Bli Ayanhara, how far the world has come. And we're still, you know, you're still out there defending Judea, defending Orthodox Judaism, and we're still out there dispelling the, the myths and whatever. But when you think about how far we've come, that we can do something like that, that we can go to a major convention and find kosher food somewhere, or that we can miss an important meeting that takes place on Shemini Yetzirah because we have to. Um, it, it's pretty amazing that, we as Jews living can 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 do that. You know, there are still some industries that are not so orthodox friendly. The sports industry, for the most part, Tamir Goodman had really a rough time of it. He was given a full scholarship to Maryland, a Division One school, and then at the end they said, "You have to play in Shabbos, or we take your scholarship away." And he he and just instantly he said, "Well then." The scholarship's gone because I'm not playing on Shabbos. So, but in the NBA, there's no way that you could get away with not playing on Shabbos. And then Hollywood, there's really no space in Hollywood. You know, Maya Bialik um, is trying her best to, you know, observe. And her shows that were filmed on Shabbos. But when holidays come around, it's been an issue. Like, basically, every time there's just no really respect or, you know, consideration for that. So while we've made a lot of progress and you sort of think about like all the different minorities in 2013 that are saying, look at the progress we've made. Like I think the African-Americans say, you know, we've got our first African-American president. I think there's a similar, you know, sort of thing that more, there's more acceptance, more respect for different types. And yet there's still industries where our kind don't really, can't really excel and can't really, you know, um, look, there was the one Shomer Shabbos, uh, actor in law and order, um, Stephen Hill, but that was, you know, he did it in the middle and he already had maybe won some Emmys. And for the most part, you can't get into it from the other way around. And I, I hope, I hope as we make this more of an issue and publicize it more, that more industries will start to hear this and maybe there will be more acceptance and more, more changes. Is there any fear that if we open up the world too much to our children, that they might choose to not stay within Orthodox Judaism? You know, it's such a fine balance of how much you expose and how much you shelter. I'm not for exposing my children to everything at all. You know, we we uh, watch, you know, videos on the computer, but we don't watch all videos on the computer. And my kids have complained before, why can't we watch this? And I say, that's not a nice show. And I told them that these are really the two Torah approaches. One is that we only, you know, uh, 
partake of Jewish content. And the other one is we partake of secular content, but we are choosy about it and we make sure that it's within our values. If you don't like the one that we're doing, which is the more open one, we can switch to the Jewish content only one. <laughs> oh, you don't like the one? Okay, so then we're going to, because that's really, that's what modern orthodoxy was founded on, be part of the world in as much as it's kosher. So, um, so I'm certainly not for doing everything. Um, look, I, I don't think it should be any field that we're in that would compromise halacha, so that would be a case-by-case basis. Um, at the same time, when you squelch too many dreams and you make too many things restricted, I think kids push back in that way as well. So I think it has to be use your seichel, you know, and sort of, you know, take each thing as it comes up and, and talk about it. Have, you know, rabbis that you're close with, have trusted friends that you talk things over with, um, who, you know, you respect. And that's how, that's how you, I think, manage in that world when you're trying to be in both worlds at the same time. Right. Most definitely. Well, your big Orthodox Jewish All-Stars event is happening on November 24th, and uh, people who are listening to our show today can win free tickets if they uh, tune in to Nachum Siegel tomorrow morning on JM in the AM and answer a question about today's program. And uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the explosion of Jew in the City and why you love challah. We'll be back in a moment right after this.
That was a Maminim remix you were listening to right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Randy Wartelsky. Welcome back to Something to Talk About. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, please do email me at randy at nachumsiegel.com. That's R-A-N-D-I at nachumsiegel.com. We're sitting here today with Allison Joseph of Jew in the City. And uh, you may know her by now, and if you don't know her by now, she is somebody that you should get to know, and you can follow her on Facebook, you can follow her blog, and you can go to her website, JewInTheCity.com. And um, Allison is the premier defender, interpreter, teacher, and advocate of Orthodox Judaism, and writes and blogs about all sorts of topics relating to Orthodox Judaism. And um, it's something that she has made a career out of, talking about her Judaism every day, all over the world. Again, Allison, thanks so much for being here. So this is the first time in, I don't even know how long, they've been saying it, but I don't even know how long, that Thanksgiving and Hanukkah will converge on the same, at the same time. What do you think about that from a Jew in the city perspective? Yeah, so it's the first time that it's ever happened because Thanksgiving didn't exist the last time it happened. And it's the... That won't happen again for 79,000 more years. Oh, so that's what I've been looking that's, at. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big number. Thing. Um, so, you know, because I'm sort of a believer of, you know, using the secular world in as much as it fits into, uh, Jewish thought and Jewish law, I think Thanksgiving is a beautiful holiday. It's a, it's a holiday of Hakarza Tov and, you know, having gratitude and giving thanks. It's such a Jewish idea. And this country was founded on those principles and it was founded on religious freedom and really having Hanukkah and Thanksgiving, uh, converging. For me, the theme is Hanukkah was about the time that we weren't allowed to learn. We weren't allowed to observe. We we loved our, you know, Torah so much that we were willing to sneak it around and play that little dreidel game. No one even knows where that little dreidel made out of clay came from. I mean, he, most Jews in the world today know what Hanukkah is and know what a dreidel is. They have no idea that that dreidel that they play with was a decoy for their real treasure, which was Torah, and they were learning it under punishment of death when the Greeks would come. And now, because of this wonderful country, we are finally free for the first time in history to learn, to observe, and and most of us could care, couldn't care less. And it's a real tragedy in my mind. Um, I believe everyone has the right to, to choose yes, to choose no, to make a decision about how much they want to believe, how much they want to observe. But for the majority of Jews in the world today, they have rejected it without even knowing what it is. And so that is an incredible tragedy for me that um, we have to make it relevant, we have to make it palatable, and we have to give them a reason to give it a try, and then they can make an educated decision and know if it's for them or not. But um, what I think is so special about these holidays coming together is that one is the persecution that we were, thank God, freed from, and now America is the place where we are allowed to live out our dreams and be openly Jewish. And so few people care to do it. So these all-stars are really, they are such beautiful models mm-hmm. of, of that balance of using the freedoms that we have in this country to live Jewish, to practice Jewish, to, to study Jewish, and also, you know, fulfill personal dreams. You know, it's interesting. There, there are Orthodox Jews who don't celebrate Thanksgiving. They say every day is supposed to be a Thanksgiving day. What do you say to naysayers who say, uh, you know, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. That's that holiday is not for me. So you know what? I uh, look. They have that song in school. Every day is Mother's Day, right? But they, and at the same time, they still say, but you know, they make a card for your mother. Look, elu elu. There's different communities. They can have different things. Because I come from a world where we celebrated Thanksgiving, that wasn't one of the things that I was throwing out. Do, do, I, do I believe that uh, a, a Jew is chayiv is obligated to celebrate Thanksgiving? Of course not. Do I believe that it's a nice thing? And we should, then we should also have gratitude for this country that they've made this space for us. I mean, yes, God as well, of course, but also to our you know, non-Jewish uh, neighbors and government that, that they've allowed us to, to be so openly Jewish. Um, and I don't think we should take it for granted for one day, but certainly while they're celebrating their freedoms, I think it's pretty nice for us to join in with them. But look, like I said, everyone can do their own thing. This is, this is why I find it meaningful, though. Yeah, and it's something that we alluded to before when we were talking about how far we've come. I mean, the freedom of religion really impacts us very, very strongly. And it's, a you know, one of our founding principles. And and to recognize it in that way, I think, you know, would be very special. And it goes beyond uh, 
what are they calling them, turkey latkes and stuff like that. Sure. It, you know, it, it's, a, it's a much more deeper, more meaningful. Right, so we, we will have Thanksgiving Hanukkah-themed food at our event, you know, because we're just having fun with that because, you know, hey, it's once in 79,000 years. Um, so we're doing that fun side of it, but um, we're definitely going to focus on the fact that, you know, part of this, you know, theme of this is uh, it's a patriotic event. It's an event about gratitude, and it's really recognizing how fortunate we are that we've come to this place today and we need to really publicize this message that Jews should know that we can live out so many of our dreams in these different fields in this wonderful country that we're and in. And that we don't have to be afraid, Bliyayin Hara, of, right, right. of living Jewishly, you know, of going out there and, and, and wearing our Judaism, you know, as we are. And that we don't have to be afraid of that. Um, speaking of our Judaism and videos and being public about our Judaism. What is the big challah video that you're working on? Oh, it's taking, it took a few months to do. We filmed it over the summer. Um, this is just going to be a very fun um, release this week. Um, mother-daughter challah baking video. Um, we're teaching my signature cinnamon raisin walnut challah recipe. Uh, the story behind this recipe is that I I like to make challah since I got married, really for like the silliest reason. Whenever I'm at someone's Shabbos table and like, you know that challah cover is covering up, I'm always hoping that there's a homemade challah underneath. And sometimes you lift up the cover and that's there and sometimes it's not. And I always picture someone's at my house where as a guest, you know, they're probably hoping there's a homemade challah under there too. Right. So I've made it basically since I got married, homemade challah. And then I was thinking that I love cinnamon raisin bagels. I wonder, like, how a cinnamon raisin challah would taste. That was just sort of like something, you know, my mind turning. And then um, about nine years ago, when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, um, it sort of hit us very hard. It was really this shocking thing. And thank God she's uh, still alive. She's doing very well. Um, but I felt like I need to add a little more sweetness in our lives, just like a little something to, like, mark that, you know, once the sadness was added. So I said, I'm going to I'm gonna make this recipe. I'm going to – so I – took a uh, raisin challah recipe and I tweaked it and I played around with it and I changed the, you know this amount of that and that amount of that and then I added walnuts and I put cinnamon sugar on top and so I came up with this um, signature recipe and um, mikvah.org wanted to do a Jewish women's video with me and we'd done mikvah already um, and so they said how about challah so I wasn't so sure that I was so inspired by the topic but I figured so let me learn first and I found some beautiful ideas behind it so we're showing you this awesome recipe. Um, we're explaining how to do the mitzvah and some laws behind Tafasha's challah. And then we're leaving you with some really deep insights to what the meaning behind this is. Because I don't know if most women baking challah really know the, the meaning behind it. And it certainly has made it more meaningful for me since I've learned this. Um, so we, we hope. Yeah, I'm not a regular challah baker simply because I don't have time. Sure. And um, we did find a bakery that makes really nice challah. So why not? You know, we enjoy it. But I do agree with you. And I have had that feeling that when you lift up the challah cover, you're like, ooh, is it homemade? <laughs> um, but the first time I actually made challah when I when I got married, and I didn't do it with like a bread machine or anything like that. I did it with plain old-fashioned hands kneading, you know, with painful arms. Reminds that's how, me. That's how we did then it. Then I need to go to the gym. Yeah. Um, it was very impactful. I mean, I, re- I remember I actually was alone in my apartment at the time and I remember a very strong feeling just overcame me while I was making the challah while I was watching it rise and then the smell that wafts through the room Mm -hmm. and it kind of was something like I was like oh I get it now yeah I get this there's something about women's mitzvah now yeah and saying the bracha and you know using that whole bag of flour and and all that I really I really felt something very, very strong. And so we, you're hoping to impart something like that. We just had um, one of our, uh, I, I became friendly with a reality TV star, a Jewish reality TV star over the summer who just came to us for Shabbos recently. God willing, will be at our all-stars party. Um, and he, when he, you know, saw the challah coming out and took that first bite, you can just, when you bake fresh bread for someone, there's just something very special that happens. You, you just, you feel like as the guest, you're really being taken care of and that like, you know, and also for yourself when you eat it. So, um, I don't do it every week. I'll freeze and then, you know, I'll warm up in the oven beforehand, but, um, you know, and also my daughters are in it. So it's sort of this nice, like, you know, mother daughter experience and I'm training, I'm training them to be, you know, future Jew in the cities two and three. So awesome. Awesome. You know, something else about Hala and we said about this Jewish reality star who I guess we'll find out eventually who that is that you're talking about. Um, I heard somebody talk once about the five senses in Shabbos and how it just being a very strong 
connection that you can have for Shabbos, three or five senses. And one of them is the sense of smell. Mm-hmm. And uh, something like challah. There's nobody who walks into a room where there's fresh challah baking who doesn't just go, oh, my God, I need to have some of that right now. Mm-hmm. And it really it makes the connection to Shabbos almost that even more special because of that you know, great feeling when you're smelling it, when you're eating it, and hopefully it tastes good. Oh, yeah, it tastes very good. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but those of us who have children who are allergic to nuts have to Try right, right. Without, so the to try without the walnuts. Exactly, without the walnuts, if, if need be. Um, it's still a very good recipe without yeah, the walnuts. We've got to do that. So interesting that you're making a video and you're putting your daughters in the video. Um, you're a very, very busy person. And I, you know, because I'm a big fan and I'm a big follower, I know that you have had a lot of speaking engagements. And over the last year, Jew in the City, in my mind, I think has exploded. And your fan base has grown tremendously. This must be incredibly impactful on your home life. Um, You know, I was mentioning before about the husbands supporting the wives. Um, You know, something I wrote on Facebook, um, you know, they say behind every uh, great man is a great woman, which is completely true. But I believe behind every successful woman is a supportive husband, you know, who was there. Because, like, at the end of the day, no matter what community you come from, the kids ultimately want the mommy and she's just going to be running the house by and large. Um, to have the husband and my husband has a very busy schedule. He will inconvenience himself. He will switch his schedule around. He, he is supporting my dreams. I mean like my, my successes are his successes because he has made them such a priority. So if it wasn't for him, you know, I try to make most of my speaking engagements on Sundays. Um, I have certain rules that I don't cross over. So one of them is I don't speak out of town more than once a month. Mm-hmm. So Baruch Hashem, I'm booked through April right now. Um, but no one else can book me now for each of these months because I have my one, uh, you know, uh, scheduled already. The other thing is that I don't leave my family on Shabbos. So I, you know, it's very nice. I get speaking engagement requests all over the place. Unless we can drive, I will not take them. Financially, that's not the best, you know, way to, you know, sort of build your business as a speaker. But, um, what I tell people is that I can't inspire your family if I'm leaving mine behind, basically. So right. I, I need to sort of let the kids know that um, sort of Shabbos is that sacrosanct thing as a family, and that won't be broken. Um, and, like, my kids are, my oldest is uh, 10, my next is 8. They're super helpers. Um, I don't know. I really didn't deserve this because I was, like, really, like, a lazy bum as a kid. My mother wanted us to be helpers. My, Shabbos comes, and my oldest, like, just starts setting the table. And, I mean, she's she's fabulous. So um, the, the kids are great. Um, and ultimately, they know that what mommy is doing is what mommy is living. And that must be, I mean, it's also an incredible responsibility, I feel, on any parent to be a positive role model for their kids. But for you to have this kind of career and be spending your time doing this kind of thing must be very inspirational. I mean, maybe now they're little, they don't see it as much, but they know that what you're doing is what you're living. And that ultimately has to be some sort of um, big, important message for them. Definitely. Um, you know, I, they, they really do believe in what I'm doing and they are proud. And I'll show them like a newspaper article came out or like a video or interview. Um, and Look, there's there's the practical side of things, which is like probably I shouldn't be on Facebook so much like when they're home after school. Like there's that sort of that tension of, right. you know, sort of dividing your time and being, you know, like, um, you know, uh, with them and present. And so I struggle with that stuff just like every other person does. Um, it's that sort of pull in two different directions, being more and more ambitious. When you're your own boss, um, you know, you can give yourself every break you want. But if you don't, but ultimately yourself, your work yeah. is 24 seven, it, it, it does go on a lot. There's not yeah. much sleeping that happens. But no, I think the, I think the kids do see that, you know, I practice what I preach and I believe this with my whole heart and soul and, um, and I think it does inspire them and they have, you know, big dreams of what they want to do too. And I think it's a, it's a good, uh, you know, example for them that, you know, I try to work my schedule first around family, but then, you know, again, my husband will sort of move his schedule around so that the kids have a place to be and are taken care of. So we're sort of figuring out as we go along. When you mentioned earlier about your challah video and how you did some research, has Becoming the persona of Jew in the city been a positive thing for your own personal growth as well? Um, I don't know if it's affected it so much. I mean, I certainly, you know, as we've made videos, I've researched things more. Um, you know, I mentioned before, like the fame thing a little bit kind of weirds me out. I'm still not exactly sure kind of how to deal with that. It's, 
you know, you go to the kosher store and you feel like people are looking at you or you're out at dinner and someone sees you and they're like, you look familiar. Mm-hmm. And I sort of give like a face like, hmm. And my husband's like, why do you do that? I don't know. I don't want to necessarily talk about it or I, it's, it's my growth is my growth separate from that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this is in a way it's kind of, you know, more of a challenge. How do I deal with, you know, sort of people responding and, you know, um, I, I, in terms of sort of like the humility side of things, um, I don't look at anything that's happened of like, you know, this is my greatness. I sort of feel like this is my mission and I'm sort of telling my story and I'm trying to use this platform to share this with the world. Um, and I have a little bit of a fear that um, I've been given so much. I mean, I look at my life and I say like I have been so incredibly blessed and I have this like deep tragic story inside and I was given this ability to put this message out there, you know, sort of with the presence to be on videos and like, God must expect a lot of me to do that. And so it actually just sort of scares the heck out of me. Like, am I doing enough? But it's not just on that end. Then I have to worry about like, am I patient enough with my kids? You know, am I, you know, making enough space for in time for my husband to learn? Am I like all that private stuff that still goes on? So it's sort of like public persona doesn't really matter for that because I feel like in some ways that stuff comes so naturally to me. Like I'm just sort of being like who I was made to be. But the stuff that like I really have to work on is like the laziness in me and like, you know, sort of the temper in you me. You don't sort of like a lazy person no, no, at but, all. No, but I'm saying like, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm motivated, I'm driven. But at the same time, like I would just like if I could just, I sit on my couch all day long in pajamas and like work off my laptop. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm not like going out and running marathons, like meaning like I know that my own inner struggles, um, in a way the stuff that, doesn't come naturally to me that I have to fight against is what I believe I'll be ultimately judged for. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And even when when you're making a video about a certain topic, whether it be um, kashrut or um, kisoi roche covering your hair or mikvah or, or anything like that, you're bringing forth rabbinical opinions that you've researched that you're presenting to people in a very clear, concise, and understandable way. That has to be something that, you know, you grow personally just from doing that kind of research, just from talking to different rabbis, just from looking at the sources. I mean, you know, every teacher learns as they teach. And I'm sure that, you know, for you, that's that's been true as well along the journey. I look, I, by continually, it's, I don't make the videos so often. The videos are coming out like just a couple times a year. More when it comes to the written stuff, the blog posts, um, I'm constantly thankfully having different like inspirational ideas. And so to sort of be living your life in an attempted inspired fashion to try to be constantly looking for lessons and everything. Um, look, I think faith is something that can wax and can wane and you have to constantly be going after it and, you know, um, trying to keep it strong, just similar to how a marriage, you know, can wax and wane passion can, you know, be stronger or less strong. So, um, because I, I want to live an inspired life and I want to see God's hand in my life and I want to be able to share that inspiration, Certainly as I inspire, it, you know, it does re-inspire me. Um, but again, there's, you know, there's that side of things. But again, ultimately, I think what, I don't know, each of us has to get, will get judged on at the end of the day is the stuff that we're not as good at that we have to, you know, work through and sort of conquer. And in some ways, you know, that's sort of a private battle that, you know, is different than the, you know, sort of outward inspiration. When you come up with an idea for, like you said, a blog post, um, I noticed recently one of your latest blog posts was why are Orthodox women dressed to the nines and, you know, on welfare. Right. Uh, are you afraid of alienating w- uh, listeners, followers, when you go someplace that makes people think? Um, I mean... I think ultimately you gain more people by making people think because conversations start happening. I didn't actually write that one. That one was Jack Abramowitz of OU Torah has been doing Q&As for us behind the scenes answering. I'm at a point now where I, I, I don't have time to answer a lot of comments, a lot of the emails that come in. He's been doing an amazing job. And that was a real question that came in. And it was a fair question. And I had my own ideas. He gave an amazing answer. And I said, I think this would start a great conversation. What came out of this topic was, yes, there are people gaming the system. Yes, there are dishonest things happening, which is atrocious and we should, you know, condemn and, you know, it's horrible. But 
there were so many stories of people coming out and explaining, well, in this situation, it looked like this, but it was really that. And that actually, for me, was so fabulous to see because giving people the benefit of the doubt is such a hard thing to do because right. we always like have every reason not to because it seems so obvious that it's not this. When someone shares with you their inner story about why it was actually that way, right. and I was just seeing example after example after example of people talking about, you know, the grandfather giving these lavish gifts, but then the kids didn't have money for rent, and they felt awkward to tell the grandfather, give this instead of that. Um, I think there was actually a lot of people that usually aren't even in on the doing city discussion or commenting that were getting pulled in, voicing their opinion, and I think people were thinking in a big way, and I think it was a fabulous post that he did. Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely, I mean, even the title definitely caught my eye. Um, and following some of the comments that people were making, uh, it's, it's definitely something that made people think, as most of your blog posts do, um, ultimately just start a conversation and make people think about their own Judaism, about their own Jewish roots as well, you know, and not, and not to think so much about other people, sure. but to maybe look inside yourself as well. Uh, speaking of your blogs, you often consult your fan base on important decisions. For example, your reinvented tagline. You asked people out there, does anybody have any ideas? And there was a discussion back and forth um, that I followed uh, about what what is the mission of Jew in the city and what do we want to say? Ultimately, you came up with orthodox, unexpected. How did you come to that tagline, and what was that discussion like for you to talk with your followers in that way? Um, so we said, you know, how do you sum up what we're doing? That we're still our mission statement still is breaking down stereotypes about uh, religious Jews and offering a humorous, meaningful look into Orthodox Judaism. So we've still kept that as our mission statement, but it was pretty long, and it was kind of at the bottom of the website. And we felt like when someone just clicks on the website, they need to instantly see what this is about. Like we right. just no, you have no one's attention. Everyone has like no attention span these days. So people were offering things like a modern woman's take on Orthodox Judaism. And whenever the word modern was in there, I think it sort of started to make certain elements of Orthodoxy feel not included. And, um, there were lots of different things thrown out there. Again, you know, you ask, uh, two Jews, you get three opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband took some of the ideas that were going around we were close to something like that. And then he said, how about just like this? Orthodox, period, unexpected, period. And that's it. Like, and you figure it out because it's like, yeah, what we're going to show you here right now is exactly what you never thought orthodoxy was because you've prejudged us, you've misjudged us, you have stereotypes. So it sort of like very quickly conveys this idea that you think you know what orthodoxy is and what orthodox Judaism means, but this is unexpected. And if you give us a few minutes to show you what we're doing here, you will be surprised. And what was the response when you came out with it? I, I think people like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten uh, some very positive response from it. So, yeah. What do you say to people? And as you mentioned earlier, that just now you mentioned that some people felt, you know, with certain terms or certain words that you use, maybe they feel a little out of it. Do, do people think that your message, do some people think your message is narrow minded? Um, look, whenever you take a stance on anything, you're going to get complaints from the right and from the left that, you know, for the Orthodox, why are the women dressed to the nines that are on welfare? Literally in the same comment section, one person says, you're being too easy on the cheaters, and the next person says, you're being too <laughs> negative on the Jews. Right. So I was right. like, great. Um, you know what? I I try my best to be fair. I, I, try, I went to a school in Israel called Darche Noam, and they had rabbis and teachers from across the spectrum of Orthodoxy, and they taught us to respect everyone and that we should learn from everyone and we should yeah. see the positives in everyone. Right. And that's the message that I really took home. And so um, I try to live that in my daily life. I try to see the best in every community. And I try to be big tent about my orthodoxy. And I try to realize that we all have things that we're not doing perfectly um, and focus on what connects us rather than what divides us. Sometimes people don't want me to you know, speak out against uh someone that protected a child molester and, you know, you're just airing our dirty laundry. And I've explained to these people that when you, you know, just sort of silently sit back and let these things happen, people don't realize that you don't agree with the rock throwers and the defrauders. And, and again, as a kid, when I would see these headlines, if I had seen someone speaking up and, you know, against these things and saying, this is not the Jewish way, this is not the Torah way, it would have made a difference. And so I feel like I need to be that voice. And you are, and you are definitely are that voice, and and you seem to have a real pulse on the Orthodox community. Uh, you share a lot of stories uh, that are going around about 
that mention Orthodox Jews, whether positive or negative. How do you find all of these stories? Do people now come to you? Or oh, do people they share? send me. You know how like George Takei, like people like send him like from a fan. So I mean, mine's on like a much smaller level, but like um, <laughs> not for I, long. Right, but uh, but it's gone to a point now where the most annoying thing is when there's like a big Orthodox story that's out there. Like I'll get it sent to me like 20 times in one right. day. Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? So now, but uh, thankfully, I, I mean, a lot of stuff I'll pick up. I do a search on Google News every day for Orthodox, for Haredi, for Hasid, and I'll just sort of see what's coming up. Usually it's bad news for the Jews. But um, besides that, a lot of people are just, you know, sending messaging and emailing things in. And, um, and I do want to be talking about what's happening, how we're being talked about in the news right now, how our perception online is right now and what needs to be dealt with what needs to be responded to right now and it's interesting when the story came out with one of the staffers of um a, uh, i think it was a, it was a government official who was speaking somewhere and one of her staffers um fainted and it took a very long time for the for help to come and then yeah. finally Hatzala came yeah. and uh it kind of made it look like oh yeah the you know the jews it takes them two hours to come save you know this woman or whatever it was and when you reposted that article, you made it very clear that Ray Kelly called Hatzala because he knows they respond mm-hmm. where others don't. Sure. And then later on that night, I saw a very similar story on the news that sort of highlighted, you know, the, the Jewish uh, emergency ambulance that came to this woman's attention. And I think that must be very gratifying for you to share a story in a positive light and then see the, the fruits of that post. I don't know. I'm saying I don't know if it's affecting it. I'll tell you one thing that we did that I, I think maybe it affected it. You never know what's happening somewhere else and who's causing what, although our reach definitely is growing. Um, there was a drug ring that was arrested, a Shomer Shabbos drug ring. No one called them Orthodox, but it was n- known that they were Shomer Shabbos. And when you looked at their pictures, they weren't wearing yarmulkes. They didn't have beards. They didn't look the least bit, you know, quote unquote, stereotypically Orthodox. But this one website posted a picture of like Hasidim mm-hmm. as their like, you know, picture to represent the story. And it was like such like faulty advertising and so, I don't know, just so yucky. So I posted the picture and I said like, you know, kind of how dare they? <laughs> like this is, th- these people in this group sometimes make mistakes. If they've made a mistake, we can call them out on it and we can, you know, condemn it. But like they didn't do anything here. This isn't them. Why are they getting blamed for this? Right. Um, so the post came down like maybe like an hour later. So wow. people were sharing all over Facebook. Again, I don't know if it was because we did it. It happened. Um, but we're, we're certainly trying to, you know, um, make, keep reporters honest. I'll tell you that much. I was interviewed by a Daily Beast reporter a few months ago who was confident that Orthodox women aren't allowed to work. And she was arguing with me about mm-hmm. what I know to be true. And she still basically published a pretty biased piece where, you know, she didn't want to really admit that tons of us are working. Um, and it's just scary that um, another situation, NBC News interviewed this Lubavitch rabbi, Rabbi Berkowitz. I was in touch with him a bunch of times. They literally cut and paste his words. Wow. The first thing was that he said, if you're going to film a Lubavitch wedding, I'll let you because Deborah Feldman from Unorthodox had a picture of her opaque veil and it came out very badly in the segment on The View. I'll let you film the opaque veil, but you need to let me explain that the purpose of this custom is because we're showing that we value the inside and it's not just the skin-deep beauty because our society is so shallow like that. They said fine, but what they did was they showed the veil and then they took one of his quotes. He said like this, we don't marry the one we love, we love the one we marry. Hmm. Then they cut his quote in half, and next to the opaque veil, they wrote, we don't marry the one we love. Hmm. Then, when they were interviewing him later, and he was a smart guy that he brought a, um, a tape recorder along so he could tape the interview alongside them. Wow. They said, how do you punish child molesters? And he said, you go straight to the authorities. Then they said, how do you educate children about child molestation? And he said, we need to do it according to our community standards because we're modest and we have... They cut and paste the answers. How do you punish child molesters? And they had him say, we do it to our community standards. <laughs> so they took the, they took a little bit of a brouhaha occurred and someone wrote an article and then um, they pulled the videos down and then they re-interviewed him with no editing just asking questions and him speaking in his own words. And it was a beautiful interview because he got to actually talk about his life as it is. And he lives a nice, beautiful life and he doesn't subjugate his wife and he's open-minded. And 
So there's... well, kudos to you for being a watchdog on you know on those kinds of things. And um, we just got about a, a couple of seconds left. Anything else that you want to share with people about your Orthodox All Stars party coming up? I'm sure you're very excited about it. Oh, it's going to be an amazing event, a once in a 79,000 year event. Um, and how can and, people follow you? Okay, um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, JewInTheCity.com. You can get tickets at JewInTheCity.com/OJAllStars. And you can win free tickets, we remind you, by listening to Jamie in the AM tomorrow morning and answering a question about this morning's interview with Allison Josephs. Allison, thanks so much again for joining us today right here on Something to Talk About. We hope that we've given you something to talk about and something to think about right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Listen up with Chaim Hagler is up next. Let's give them something to talk about. Something to talk about. Let's give them something.